Greenville Health System's mission is to heal compassionately, teach innovatively, improve constantly. And in that spirit, we present this special podcast series, Inside Health, brought to you by Greenville Health System. Here's Melanie Cole. Probably one of the worst things a parent can hear is that your child or young adult has cancer. It might possibly be the scariest thing for the whole family. But what support services are available and to whom can you turn? My guests today in this panel-style discussion are Dr. Anikat Saha. He's a pediatric hematologist-oncologist with Prisma Health Children's Hospital Upstate. And Dr. Elizabeth Cull. She's a medical hematologist-oncologist with Prisma Health Cancer Institute. Dr. Saha, what is the prevalence and current status on cancer in the adolescent and young adult population today? Sure. Thank you for having us on this podcast. We're delighted to be here. There are about 70,000 adolescents and young adults who are diagnosed with cancer in the United States every year. This um, accounts for um, a small percentage of the entire population of the U.S. who uh, gets diagnosed with cancer, but this is an important and very um, unique population um, that we uh, come across as uh, oncologists. Um, in over at uh, Prisma Health Upstate, uh, we see between 150 to 200 new adolescents and young adults uh, that are diagnosed with cancer every year. Um, adolescents and young adults are defined as those patients who are between the ages of 15 and 39 who get diagnosed with cancer. Dr. Call, what types of cancer are you seeing in this population? Yeah, so it's pretty varied. Um, the biggest ones we see are breast cancer, uh, certain leukemias and lymphomas, and certain sarcomas, which are uh, cancers of the soft tissue. But um, more and more, we're actually seeing cancers that were historically seen in older adults, things like colon cancer um, and some pancreas cancer are occurring in younger and in, in younger patients, and that may be in some way related uh, to the obesity epidemic in the United States. Dr. Cullum, I'll stick with you for a minute. Do you feel that these seem to be genetic, random, and you just mentioned that they could be environmentally related in childhood obesity? What do you feel is the etiology or the cause? What are some of the factors that you think are contributing to this, these cancers? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think the first point is that cancer is not one disease. Every, uh, every cancer is different in its uh, mechanism of action and, the, um, you know, obviously the tissues that it, that it affects. So it's certainly not a one-size-fits-all explanation. I mean, I think in general, you know, most of the time we tend to think it's um, – a somewhat environment, and then there may be some underlying genetic predisposition to maybe why these folks are getting cancer at such a young age. The majority of AYA cancers, though, are not inherited. Um, some of the more common ones we think about are colon cancer and breast cancer, but still that's a minority of patients that are getting diagnosed have, um, you know, an inherited or, or particularly strong family history of cancer. The majority of young adult cancer is is completely sporadic, so we really are learning, continuing to learn about uh, why these cancers are developing at such young ages in certain people. Dr. Saha, tell us about the AYA program through Prisma Health Cancer Institute. Sure, I'd be glad to. So one of the things that has become very apparent, as I had mentioned before, is that this population is actually a very, very unique population. These patients are not like a three-year-old um, 
kid with, um, say, leukemia, who I would generally see in my office, and who have um, who has all the support that they need from their parents and families, or perhaps an elderly person um, who falls outside this age range. So um, these patients tend to have um, some uh, unique um, challenges that can um, sometimes um, uh, become a problem for them as they're getting their care. So this could include, say, a 18-year-old finishing up high school, entering college, or a young college student, or a young person who's entering the workforce, or a person with a young family. So all of these things can make a difference in terms of how a patient, when when a patient seeks medical care um, um, or seeks medical attention uh, for a lump or bump that they might feel um, because they have other things to attend to. And so these things can can certainly make a difference. Um, and also the biology of patients, uh, uh, the, the, the biology of the cancers in these patients are also very unique and which can make them, um, which can sometimes make them um, challenging to treat. Um, and so, uh, and then the other thing that we have seen is that patients in this age group have um, some um, some challenges with respect to getting fertility counseling because this is kind of when most people would have their kids and things like that or would want to start their families. Um, and then also what we have seen is that patients um, uh, may not be offered clinical trials or may not know about clinical trials that could sometimes be life-saving for them. So all of these things put together um, basically put patients uh, at, in this age group in a disadvantage when they're getting their medical care and may affect their outcomes. So what we have realized and other people around the country have realized is that you really you really need a special team and a dedicated team to be able to provide um, the kind of support services and also be able to make sure that they get the best care that they are supposed to get in order to get them to a, a place where they're where they can move on with their lives. And so because of that, the um, AYA Oncology Program was created at Prisma Health. Dr. Cole, as Dr. Saha was discussing some of the unique set of needs that have to be continually addressed as these kids undergo cancer therapy and follow-up care. What are some of the others, maybe that he didn't mention, that you notice? I mean, he mentioned fertility, and we will talk about that in a bit. But there's dating and sex and social life are tops of their minds. Isolation, school, what, what do you want to tell the listeners about this unique set of needs and how they're dealt with at the AYA program. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So what we try and do is take a really individualized approach to each patient. I mean, obviously, the AYA age group is is wide, 15 to 39. The needs of a 15-year-old are very different than a 39-year-old. So we really try and take every patient individually and cater to their exact needs. Um, this need for connection is is huge, and I think we see that across the age groups. I mean, oftentimes people are sitting in infusion rooms next to people that are much older than them, and it can feel very isolating. So we've, um, over the last two years, um, worked with um, AYA patients here. We have created an AYA patient council. That's uh, patients that have been through treatment here, family members that have been involved, and they help sort of direct some of our social programming 
and help us just make the program better in general. We have multiple different support groups. We have a young women's support group that meets monthly. We try and do a monthly uh, AYA activity, oftentimes a family activity that people can bring their family to. For example, over the summer, we uh, got a box at Floor Field at the baseball stadium, and everyone brought their family and friends and just all got together and didn't talk about cancer, but just uh, enjoyed people's sort of fellowship and were able to make some connections with people that had gone through something similar. So we, we really are, are trying to connect patients. Um, ultimately, we are working to have an AYA space where we can connect patients while they're getting their infusion treatments. Um, again, trying to do it in a more natural way. I mean, oftentimes people are sitting there for eight hours at a time um, and being able to talk with people that are your same age um, and connect with them. Uh, we People state as something that they, they really are, are looking for. Um, other needs, I mean, the financial needs are huge. Um, finan- it's, financial toxicity is the technical name for it. But, um, you know, oftentimes patients don't have enough money to pay for their medications, but nobody's necessarily asking that question, and so they don't take their medications. And so we, you know, either try and get them resources that will help pay for medication, or there's other resources available locally in Greenville that will help you know, with bill pay or or gas pay, and so that can at least take off some of the burden, um, and they can allocate funds then toward their medications. Um, so I think that's a very unaddressed need, really, throughout all of cancer patients, but specifically in the AYAs, we we're, we're really trying to address that. Dr. Call, staying with you for a second, Dr. Saha mentioned fertility preservation. Tell us about that discussion. What does that look like? Because as you said. This is a very wide range from 15 to 39. 15-year-olds might be interested in fertility preservation options as well as someone in their 20s or early 30s. How is that discussed? And tell us about some of the options they might have. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, it is not often discussed. Um, you would think it, it would be, but again, especially in the adult world, we're oftentimes not taking care of such young people, and so fertility preservation is not always at the forefront of people's minds. So unfortunately, only about 20% of AYA patients are getting a fertility discussion, which obviously is very, very low and needs to improve. Um, so, you know, the times that it does occur, it needs to be occurring within before starting chemotherapy or radiation, because obviously, if you do it after that point, you know, the the time to intervene may have passed. Fortunately, we have a very active reproductive and endocrinology and infertility service here that will see patients within 24 hours of a referral. Um, so a lot of it is just education. We're trying to get out, you know, to all of the oncologists that um, the reproductive folks are available really at a moment's notice, and we'll see patients at any time, even the weekend. I've had them come out when patients are in the hospital on the, and on, on the weekend and do, and do sperm banking. For women, it can be a little bit more complicated, obviously, um, because it has to do with, with, with their cycle, and sometimes it can take a little bit um, more planning. But again, the message we're trying to convey is that in most cancers, that there is time to wait um, and be able to try and do this fertility preservation. In most cancers, people at least have a few weeks to get this sorted out. There are a few, you know, treatment has to start immediately, but that's not really the norm. Um, you know, again, AYA patients list the fact that they've lost their fertility or the fact that they, that no one ever had a fertility discussion as one of the biggest regrets and biggest um, uh, sources of sadness or despair. Um, and so we're really trying to work to systemize this process and so that every single patient between 15 and 39 has a documented fertility discussion and gets a referral immediately to the reproductive folks if they desire. 
Dr. Saha, speak about some of the providers and the multidisciplinary team that you have at the AYA program. And as she mentioned, referrals for a reproductive endocrinologist or, you know, all of these types of providers, because there's also psychological issues and anxiety in the whole family. Speak about the multidisciplinary team. Sure. Um, so the core program um, consists of five people. So um, myself, I'm the pediatric oncologist, and Dr. Cull, uh, who's the medical oncologist. We have a nurse practitioner, um, Heather Bowers, who um, maintains our database and makes sure that our referrals are coming through and kind of um, run some of our programs um, uh, with respect to clinical trials and things like that. Um, we have Carrie Susco, who um, is a counselor. Uh, she's a certified counselor, and she's also a social worker, and she uh, runs many of the uh, support programs that we have for our patients. And then um, she works mainly with the, with adult patients, um, those who are over 18, but she can also support younger patients as well and their caregivers. And then she, uh, and then we have Amy Bowers, who is a pediatric social worker, and she primarily works with our pediatric patients who are between the ages of 15 and 18 and helps provide support for them. So this is our core group. But beyond that, uh, as you mentioned, we have a multidisciplinary team that we uh, reach out to in order to provide all the different things that we need. So fertility with um, reproductive endocrinology and infertility, um, the team at Prisma, um, so we work very closely with them. Um, another um, uh, 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 set of providers that we work with is the Cancer Genetics Program over at the uh, CIOS. So they help to see all of our patients as well as, as uh, whenever we think that it's appropriate. Um, and then we also have um, all of the clinical research associates over at the Cancer Institute and the Children's Hospital who help to basically, um, who help us uh, enroll patients onto clinical trials and things like that. So that's also a huge part of our mission. And so, you know, th those three, I would say, are the pillars of what we provide. And then CIOS in itself at the Cancer Institute, they provide um, a lot of the uh, other types of um, psychosocial support that we may uh, need. So um, in, in, in addition to Carrie Susco doing counseling, um, we also have um, a, a cancer, Institute, cancer Institute chaplain. We have the diet and diet and nutritionist over at CIOS who we send patients to. We have the uh, moving on rehab program that we send several patients to. So, um, so you know, uh, and I'm sure I've forgotten a couple of them, but, um, you know, these are all the different types of folks that we reach out to uh, on a regular basis in order to provide um, the kind of um, services that are needed for these patients. And the other thing I should also say is that we work very closely with the financial counselors um, throughout the uh, Cancer Institute system to make sure that these patients are getting the appropriate financial counseling that they need uh, because financial toxicity is a big, big uh, issue that we have come across. Dr. Cull, how are the families involved in support services, siblings and parents? They're probably feeling lost and scared while they watch their loved young one going through this. How, how are these support services involving the families? Yeah, so the Center for Integrative Oncology and Survivorship, the CIOS, um, has a multitude of programs that are available for uh, cancer patients and their family, uh, free yoga, free nutrition classes. They do a 
a cooking class where people can come cook and then, you know, eat together. Um, so that is all free for the patients and their families. So that's a great source of connection and education. Um, there's several caregiver support groups. Um, so some that, that meet and are specifically to connect uh, caregivers together. Um, but you're right. Yes, it's it, oftentimes people, it's difficult to watch a, a loved one go through that. And, um, you know, oftentimes the family is looking for, for ways they can they can reach out and help. So I think um, definitely working on uh, more programs that can involve, I think, family members is one of our future goals. Dr. Saha, do you advise, depending on the cancer type, a genetic test for siblings and other members of the family based on whatever type of cancer they've been diagnosed with? Yeah, so that's always in the back of our minds. It's usually not an urgent test, but something that we we sometimes will initiate the conversation with the patient and uh, whoever they bring along and just start to see. Uh, It really will depend on the cancer type. Sometimes some cancers are literally just a random event, something like Hodgkin's or something like that. But we'll, we'll, what we try to do is try to get a sense of what the family history is like. But you, you really need a cancer geneticist to really tease out the nuances of all the different types of cancers that may have occurred in a patient's family. And so based on that, um, sometimes we will refer a patient over to see cancer genetics. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. You really cannot take this approach because that would really be a disservice and would be uh, possibly not the best use of resources. So you you really got to look at the cancer type and then get a sense of the patient's family history um, and then see if they would benefit from um, a cancer genetic counseling. Um, and so we, we, we do that fairly often. Dr. Call, last word to you. Tell us what you would like the listeners to take away from the AYA program through Prisma Health Cancer Institute, what you would like listeners to know about finding an oncologist and how the families can work together with you both to help their young adults and adolescents through this really, really scary time. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is just knowing that the program is here. Um, I think, you know, pediatric cancer, as it should, gets a lot of um, attention. But I think everyone obviously has can, can imagine themselves, you know, as a young dad or a young mom with young kids and then getting a cancer diagnosis or going through college and getting a cancer diagnosis or starting a new job and getting a cancer diagnosis and just thinking about how challenging that part of your life is in general and then adding on such a huge life-changing event as that. Um, So I think just getting the word out that that we exist and that you don't have to go through this alone. Um, Although it's, you know, fortunately, you know, AYA cancer is relatively rare. Um, There are plenty of people that unfortunately do have cancer um, and trying to make those connections and make sure that people understand that they're not alone and that there are people that can support them as they go through it. Not even just obviously other patients, but all the different support programs that we, we've uh, we've just detailed. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today and sharing your expertise on what's involved in the AYA program for young adults and adolescents with cancer. Thank you again. You're listening to Inside Health. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for tuning in.